Hey everybody, it's Sam Jacobs. Welcome back to the Sales Hacker Podcast. Now today we've got a very special show. In fact, this whole week we've got a special show and it's a type of show that we're going to be doing more and more often. So this is a live recording that we did with Chris Rudigrop, who's the CEO and co-founder of Sendoso, which is the sending platform. And so we interviewed Chris on a very rainy night in New York and talked about the origins behind the business, the developments in in account-based marketing, why direct mail and sending physical objects improves conversion rates through your sales cycle, and a lot of different conversations about how to grow and expand an early-stage company as the co-founder and CEO. Chris also has a background in sales, so it's a really interesting conversation. Now, the interview is going to be split into two parts. The first part is my direct conversation with Chris, which is going to happen today, Tuesday. And then for Friday, instead of Friday Fundamentals, we're going to have the Q&A section of the interactions where we get some of the people from the audience to ask a few questions. And uh, and that conversation goes on for about 15 or 20 minutes. So a a really nice kind of two-part live podcast that we're bringing to you for the Sales Hacker Podcast this week. And we will be doing more of these, particularly as Revenue Collective and Sales Hacker host more and more different types of events with luminaries and prominent people. and, uh, And we'll be interviewing them and bringing those conversations to you. So we're super excited for it. Now, Before we dive in, we want to thank our sponsors, of course. We've got two sponsors today. The first is Conga. Conga is the leading end-to-end digital document transformation suite. With Conga, you can simplify documents, automate contracts, and execute e-signature so you can focus on accelerating sales cycles and closing business faster. Go to go.conga.com forward slash sales hacker for more information. Our second sponsor is Outreach. That's outreach.io, the leading sales engagement platform. Outreach supports sales reps by enabling them to humanize communications at scale, from automating the soul-sucking manual work that eats up selling time to providing action-oriented tips on what communications are working best, Outreach has your back. Finally, we want to thank some of the people that have written in and that are listening. Um, Randy Posar. There's two people this week that I'm mentioning that uh, I want to make sure I'm acknowledging that I may be pronouncing their last names improperly, but Randy Posar, P-O-Z-S-A-R. Thank you for writing in. Blake Johnston, I know how to pronounce that. Austin Kittleson, feel good about that one. Chris Keogh, I think it's Keogh, but it's K-E-O-J-G-H. Uh, so Chris, thank you for writing in. Thanks to everybody that's been listening, and thanks to everybody that's uh, that's been a fan and supporting it. If you haven't rated the show, if you haven't given us four or five stars on iTunes, uh, please do that if you can and write a little bit of a comment. It really helps boost the show, I guess, on the charts, the important charts. I don't know. Just do it because I'm asking you to and I'm saying, please, please do that. Anyway, let's listen to this fireside chat with Chris Rudigrop from Sendoso. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Chris, let's let's first. You know, we, we talk about a baseball card when we interview our guests, mm-hmm. and so w- w- we would like to know your background. So, we know that you're the CEO and co-founder. Yep. Uh, we know that your name is pronounced Rudy Grapp, Chris Rudy Grapp. <laughs> Tell us about Sendoso. So, what is the company? And give us, in your words, what they do, what you do. Yeah. So, uh, we're a sending platform that helps other companies send out uh, direct mail, gifts, handwritten notes, personalized. Uh, swag, gifts, really anything you can think of that you want to send to somebody else. And it all started actually when I was an account executive at TalkDesk. So it's kind of a, a unique uh, story of being a salesperson turned CEO. Yeah. And I really saw this shift in the market of 
you can't just send emails and do phone calls and LinkedIn. You need to engage and build more personal relationships. And offline was a good channel for that, but there really wasn't a platform that totally integrated into your tech stack and also allowed you to really send anything you wanted. So tell us about the origin of the mm. company. What you were at TalkDesk, yep. your your uh, sequences were not working as yeah. effectively as they used to. So. Yeah, yeah. So while at TalkDesk, I was manually uh, writing handwritten notes. I would pack some. Of, we had like a swag closet that I would go and grab stuff like this and like send it as thank you gifts. Or someone took a meeting or someone wasn't getting back to me. I'd send. We had these like books in the swag closet. So I'd start sending this stuff out. You know, it got to a point where marketing would ask like, hey, why are you in the office late packing boxes? So then marketing would be like, hey, can we help? But then marketing ended up asking me to fill out a spreadsheet and then they would delay it like a week, two weeks, three weeks. What, what was on the spreadsheet? Just like the names and addresses that I wanted to send people <laughs> stuff. And so they thought that they could scale it out for me, but then it was really just a delayed process, which made my real-time strategy of sending things to people just even worse. And so it was nice because they were helping, but then it was like, you know, I'd close the deals and then they would, you know, I'd want to send something and then three weeks later, they were already onboarded and it'd be like a thank you for signing or something. And it was just like not real time. So I, I really saw, you know, sales is real time these days. Yeah. So, you know, I really saw a need for a platform to support that. So how did you start this platform? Tell us what the, I mean, tell us more yeah. about the platform. So interesting enough, the first thing that I thought that, so first thing that I thought to do was how can I build a Salesforce app? that would allow you to send something out. And at first it was just Starbucks gift cards. So the initial company was called Coffee Sender and it was just sending coffee gift cards. We actually were one of Starbucks's biggest partners. We'd fly up there to Starbucks's headquarters. And when I say we, it was me and one other sales guy who kind of got this thing. And it was really just a weekend hackathon project that I found an engineer overseas through Upwork or Odesk to build. And this was like the first concept of it is like, what can I send that can be impactful, but I can actually just like build as a weekend project. Building out a warehouse and all the logistics is not something you can put up in a weekend. Yeah. So this was like the first step of it. And it was, you know, kind of overnight got a few thousand people and it just kind of caught on where people were just like sending me all these notes. Hey, we want to send more things. We like this like click button in Salesforce to send things. And that kind of snowballed into thinking, okay, I'm already having these pain points with my marketing team trying to like manually send out this swag and all this other stuff. And I've got this little Salesforce app that you can click and send and kind of the, the light bulb went off to marry the two, quit my company and start it up. So tell us about Sendosa today. How big is the company? Yeah. You don't have to give us confidential financial sure, numbers. Sure. So, you know, we're about, a, uh, yeah, about 160 employees. Um, we, we went to market really in the beginning of last year. So it's only been about a year and a half of true growth. It took us about a year and a half to really build out the logistics. The, um, there's software that runs the warehouses that we operate. So not only do we have the software that integrates into you know, Salesforce, Marketo, Outreach, Salesloft, Eloqua, all of those, we've got uh, also software that controls all of our warehouse facilities too. So it's quite a, a beast of behind the scenes effort. Our warehouse in Vegas is like the size of a Costco, just <laughs> racked to the ceiling full of, you know, corporate swag, custom boxes, cool gifts, things like that. So what um, there's obviously, you know, the, the main question I would imagine mm -hmm. most, most marketers ask you, yeah. or anybody that's using it is what's the ROI? How does it compare to a traditional sequence that is phone, voicemail, text message, mm -hmm. et cetera. So walk us through, there, there's clearly a reason we're sending people yeah. things. Tell us about the ROI and the statistics behind behind the company. Sure. So 
When I look at ROI, I, a couple things pop in my head. So one is that you know the same experience that I was experiencing at Talktus, where we were manually doing this in-house, was actually we found out that you know about 60% of our customers today, got about. 400 or 500 customers about now. We're also experiencing this pain point in-house and there are high-valued uh, high employees, demand gen folks, you know, marketing coordinators, sale, like uh, field sales reps that are packing boxes and spending their time trying to do this. So for some companies, they look at it as just a time save ROI where it's like, let's not let our director of demand gen like coordinate packing boxes. Let's let them, you know, coordinate bigger uh, projects and campaigns. So uh, a lot of companies look at us as just a net ROI in terms of just labor costs. Yeah. In addition to that, what we're doing is we're also t pushing a lot of data back into Salesforce for when people are receiving things so that they can track campaign influence. And so now companies are being able to tie in whether, depending on what attribution model they're using to see, okay, we hit them with a direct mailer or a gift, and then here's how that influenced that opportunity. So that's something unique is when people were doing manual direct mailer in other fashions, weren't really tying that back into Salesforce data. Yeah. Um, so that's a big ROI. And then- um, Do you have any data around that in terms um, of like campaigns that integrate direct mail versus those that don't? Yeah, I mean, I think another data point that I find interesting, so we had a customer advisory breakfast uh, a few weeks back. So one of our customers, uh, Radius, they were mentioning that for about every dollar they spend on Sendosa, they've seen it generates about $18 in pipeline um, that they've tied back. Comparatively, they told us that for every dollar they spend on ads, it generates just under $2. Wow. So when they compared those two channels, even though you think of direct mail, you're like, oh, I've got to spend money on shipping and boxes and this and that. But for them, it was such a big difference in like the pipeline uh, generated. So what's, what are the best practices? If you're thinking, I'm sure that there's, the, you know, the squeezy balls are probably not <laughs> uh, as impactful as something yeah. that's specific. So talk to us about best practices when mm -hmm. it comes to integrating direct mail into yeah. your marketing strategies? So I think uh, integrating into marketing strategies, I think it also really ties into how you uh, align sales with it. Because I think that um, there's marketing uh, and direct mail that can be done more on like a demand gen side where it's just really high top of funnel just trying to get awareness out. But effectively what we're trying to help companies do is take that lower in the funnel and say, hey, you can use direct mail in real time during the buying cycles. Marketing can say, hey, these 10 things we want, whether it's a kit of swag, whether it's a printed collateral, whether it's cupcakes with your logo, whatever it is, there's a myriad of different options. Uh, marketing can say, hey, we're good with all these SDRs or A's, you take over and now you can click and send when you want. And so a best practice really is aligning marketing and sales with this and then letting sales send at the right time to the right person and making sure that there's messaging that's before it, during, and after. So tying it into a sequence so that you're not just, you know, throwing out direct mail and then hoping people respond, but it's, you know, very tactile in terms of sending it and then there's a response that's happening, you know, two days later, tying back into it. Um, Is there a type of direct mail that you found or a thematic, you know, some something that we should be in keeping in mind? You know, handwritten notes versus cupcakes, as you mentioned. Yeah, so uh, cupcakes are one of the best performing like things that <laughs> oh, we that's, send out. Oh, that was a enough. real example. Yeah. Okay. Um, so food, actually, we should food. send food to people. So food is really helpful because uh, you know, especially in larger enterprises where it's a bigger buying committee or you want to drum up more, uh, uh, you know, more water cooler moments. When you send, uh, there's actually a, a, I think it's a local company here, Baked by Melissa. That's one of our partners that we uh, distribute through. Um, small, when you send these little cupcakes. small cupcakes, you know, it's like, who else wants them? And then it's like, who sent them? And then it's like, okay, now you're talking about this company. So those work really well. 
we have a really cool Amazon integration where the you know the SCR, the AE, the CSM can go in and do some research. Hey, this person went to you know Harvard and plays golf, and you know go find some golf balls with the logo on it. And through our integration, it sends from Amazon's warehouse to our warehouse. We unbox it, rebox it with a handwritten note, and ship it out. All mm. tracked through like outreach really, sales after uh, sales. Is course. it really handwritten or is it machine it is. handwritten? No, so we have anywhere from like a dozen to you know twenty, thirty handwriters at any of our facilities at any given time. Oh, so it's like a. Almost full time job. They usually only work four to six hours because you know writing notes Sounds all day. Is, not not yeah. a great job. Yeah, but it's you know better than maybe some other jobs out there. So, <laughs> so handwritten notes and then and then for you, if we're all thinking about this in terms of going back and implementing it, mm-hmm. there's probably a couple other criteria. One yeah. of them is probably deal size. Would you agree with that? Because I would imagine um, it's expensive to send people stuff. So I would say that um, I would look at more of like tiering out your accounts. And so even if you have a very small ACV, you know, sub 5,000, less than 1,000, there's still things that you can do to build rapport or to break through just to sending a normal email, whether it's a $5 Starbucks card or whether it's a, a, a booklet, a printed booklet with a nice uh, handwritten post-it note on one of the pages. Something like that can just differentiate a little bit more than you know the next person that's coming in, and that is maybe sub $10. That being said, we've done things where we're sending Oculuses with pre-programmed you know, mm. stuff on them, or these boxes that open up and play videos and roll and have like gifts that roll out inside that are you know in the you know three, four, five hundred dollar range. So wow. typically we see companies will have some kind of tiered strategy where it's based on certain count sizes and maybe data in Salesforce that we can actually limit saying like, if this, per, if this account isn't tier one, then you can't send that video box. Mm. So we can help do some kind of rules and restrictions so that you know, an SDR doesn't you know, send a, a video box to a, you know, some random person that's not worth it. That would be bad. Yeah. Is it bottom of the funnel? Is there, what's the perfect time? Let's take mid-market sale. Yeah. Let's assume a $50,000 sale, mm-hmm. still closed over the phone yeah. largely. Is there, what is the perfect time to send the Oculus with whatever's inside the Oculus? So I would say the perfect time is probably mid, like maybe three touches in. So you've- After the demo, before the demo? Oh, sorry. Uh, I would, well, I would say that you've, uh, before the demo. Okay. Uh, if you're trying to get a meeting. It's so to I, get the meeting. I think you could get the meeting. I think if you're sending a, an Oculus as a, now you could send it as like, a post customer or like welcome kit with some kind of immersive experience welcoming welcoming them to your company and we do do a lot of these customer welcome gifts uh, now that um, help like welcome people on board yeah but I would say the, probably the majority of what we're doing still is trying to break into new accounts that's probably accounts for you know 70% of our business got it uh, but I think companies now that they have a sending platform are looking at how do they use direct mail post customer acquisition so in retention in you know, renewal funnels and other product mi- milestones. And in, we're, uh, some of our customers are using it for employees too, because now employees are more remote. There's all these WeWorks everywhere. So it's like, how do you build employee engagement? So we're starting to see that as kind of a, uh, a business line that we didn't even expect. Wow. You know, I used to sell the financial services. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very low threshold uh, that you're allowed to give them things yeah. before it, I don't know, triggers some 
something that mm -hmm. says it's bribery or some kind of strange incentive yeah, yeah. provision. So how do you get around that? How should we think about that? I'm sure you've had experiences with enterprises yep. where there's some level that they can't receive beyond, you know, maybe the Oculus is too much. Yeah, so I think for that, there's uh, certain things that we can help with in terms of just guidance around that. For the financial services is actually, uh, there's some stuff around if you're sending promotional products with swag, it doesn't count as a gift. Oh. So there's some breakthroughs like that instead of sending just a, you know, sending someone a, you know, an actual gift that's not branded. So there's different things that you can do there. We can help with some controls on saying like, you can't send this item to this person based on an industry type field in Salesforce. Mm. So we can help like provision and limit so you don't accidentally make mistakes. But yeah, we can provide guidance, different things there. There's also things that are like non-monetary that help, um, you know, like the printed collateral pieces, um, other things like that, that I think of, um, you know, everyone has spent the last, you know, decade figuring out what content performs best online and all this marketing automation, that you can use some of that data and some of those pieces now offline again. And are you feeling tremendous pressure, to the point of my question about ROI, for attribution? You know, every marketer I talk to is, is being pushed by the CFO, the VP of finance, or maybe uh, the sales lead mm -hmm. to, to present the data on marketing influence, marketing generated. When it's printed or when it's person, is it QR codes? Is it just the act of doing it relative to a sales cycle without it? How are you thinking about attribution? Yeah, so one of the things, I mean, from a basic level is just anything, anyone gets something in the mail, that recipient we tag as a contact or a campaign member into a Salesforce campaign. I mean, it might seem pretty basic, but most companies weren't even doing that previously. They were just, you know, doing stuff manual and not, you know, like even tagging it in Salesforce. So I think that's the bare bones you can do. But then it's tying it into certain short URLs, tying it into, you know, certain landing pages, uh, you know, phone number, unique phone numbers, or ultimately, you know, because companies are more sophisticated and they're hitting them with a direct mail one day and the next day they're calling them and the next day they're sending them an email, it's a bit of, uh, you know, just kind of seeing what works and seeing that, hey, this cadence that included two direct mailers performed better than this cadence that didn't and kind of seeing that as well. Right. So trying to test out different outreach strategies. You, so when were you at TalkDesk? I was at TalkDesk in uh, 2016 and then left at the end of 2016. Wow, so you've been a founder for, I mean, you, I think you founded a company in college too. I mean, yeah. So this is not the first time, but this is probably the first time you've run a team of 160. But mm -hmm. you have frontline experience as a sales executive. You are now running a company that sells to sales people and marketing people. What do you see across the landscape of the evolution? You know, Tell us about themes that you see, not just focused on direct mail, but like broadly defined as somebody that has a career and background in sales. Yeah, so I mean, I think the MarTech sales tech stack is getting bigger and bigger. So people are finding more tools to use. Uh, more tools are integrated than ever before. So I think that's a, a trend that I see is, you know, uh, all these tools working together better. You know, data is becoming easier to find. So targeting customers um, is becoming easier. And I think that salespeople are also becoming almost mini marketers where they're having to think a bit more creatively, almost becoming, you know, doing things differently than maybe they would have before, which was just, you know, dialing for dollars. But now they're, you know, how do I break into this account maybe differently than they've thought before? How do, given that, you know, if you look at a loom escape for marketing tech or marketing mm -hmm. automation or sales tech, hundreds, if not thousands yeah. of companies, how do you figure out what is the right stack and how do you build the right stack and how do you make sure you're not, it's not too many tools, but not too few? 
I mean, that's a that's a really good question. <laughs> I think uh, from experience, I think that you know, hopefully, if, if you're a, you know a sales leader, you've worked at a company before that you've used a tool. You know, talking to your peers, groups like this, figuring out what tools are working better than others. Are there tools that are not Sendoso? You don't have to, let's not name vendors maybe, yeah. but like specific pieces of your stack that you were really excited about? Yeah, I mean, we're uh, really excited about, you know, we've got a, a data tool that we get, get data through, uh, lead routing, you know, marketing automation, our sales engagement tool. You know, we, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of over-investing in tools because I think if we can, use software to make our employees' jobs easier and more efficient, then let's do it. So, cool. so thinking about, I'm just really interested, you know, we call this founder story. Yeah. So besides just the direct mail piece, there's the fact that you've scaled a company from you and a few other mm -hmm. people to 170 people. What, and you seem like a relatively young person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's all relative, uh, relative to me, you're young. Um, tell us about that experience. You know, yeah. what have you learned? How, so, much, how much money have you all raised? Uh, we raised 13 million. Okay. Um, so that's not a crazy amount. Not a crazy in this amount. Environment. Um, we uh, so my bootstrap the beginning to try to focus just on. This is when it was Coffee Sender. Yes, yeah, so we uh, bootstrapped Coffee Sender, and then we only raised two million seed, um, and then a like an 11 million A. So we we wanted to be a bit more thoughtful than overspend. You know, we also have invested in you know offices outside of just San Francisco. So we've got an office in Arizona, which has helped with kind of uh, being a bit more cost efficient. We've got some overseas uh, development, so that's helped as well. So just being thoughtful in where we spend um, has been big. Um, What's been the biggest unexpected challenge for you as the CEO? Um, I mean, I'm being kind of a glorified recruiter now. So I, you know, in every my, executive is a glorified recruiter. So in my previous roles and sales, like I would, you know, interview here and there, but now it's like every day I'm interviewing. So I've had to really learn and um, understand that kind of, uh, you know, what have you talk learned? Track. I mean, I've tried to, you know, figure out questions, to ask people, doing uh, reference checks or like back channeling people. How do I? Um, you know, one of my big things is just like opening it up and letting them ask me questions and seeing how, you know, that, um, so just kind of like situational things um, has been big and just figuring out how to, you know, interview people at scale. How do you think about um, executive hiring? And, yeah. and how do you make sure, you know, we talk about in Revenue Collective, and I don't mean to put you too much on the spot, sure. but the average tenure for a VP of sales or VP of marketing has fallen below 18 months. Mm -hmm. And you're getting advice from investors, I'm yeah. sure, saying she's the zero to 10 CRO, mm -hmm. and then you're gonna need uh, a different woman for 10 to 30, yeah. and then a different woman for 30 to 60, or it doesn't matter what the gender is, but the point is that you're getting the implicit recommendation that you should be swapping people out. Yeah. How do you feel about that? How do you address that? Well, I would say that? that I we haven't gotten that yet. That's so great. that's a good sign, I guess. Or um, I think so. You, yeah. <laughs> so we've got a, we've got a great team. We haven't um, f there hasn't been any you know uh, exodus of our leadership team. So that, I think that's good. So I would I guess I, I don't have too much to comment on that other than you know I have heard that that I think that's pretty common talk of like you know the zero to ten, right. 10 stage appropriate stage leadership. appropriate leadership. You know we'll see. I think that you know there's so much to be learned when you spend, you know, two three years at a company that's hard to just replace just because they haven't been in you know they haven't been that next stage. So I'm for giving people a chance more than just saying hey you haven't 
you know, run a 30 million ARR company, like you're out of here. Yep. Um, you know, we've done a good job of bringing in advisors. We've probably got 30 or 40 advisors that are, you know, ex-CMOs, VPs of sales, CROs, who we've landed on for some, you know, different types of questions and scenarios um, that even some of my senior leadership and executives will look into. So that's been one of the ways I think early on we've bridged some of that gap. That's great. How do you, what do you, what do you see for the future for Sendo? So you, as you think about, I'm sure you're obligated to paint a massive picture, <laughs> yeah. you know, that it's going to change the world, but yeah, yeah. how are you going to change the world? Tell us about the next three to five years. Yeah. So I think we're, I mean, I think, um, you know, the whole direct mail, call it, or, you know, gifting is still, I think, in it's kind of infamacy in terms of just how people think about it. You know, if you ask um, a lot of people, direct mail it was something that is an older thing that you used to do that you would do in big batches. It's not something that's real time integrated in your tech stack. So although it seems obvious, I think there's a bit of education that we're still doing in terms of just educating the market that you can do this. So that's a big thing that we're doing. I think that, you know, moving global, you know, we have facilities in the UK and Australia and Canada, but we, we see a lot of other markets that we can get into. So that's a, a big thing for us. And just continuing to you know refine the platform, adding you know new features and this and that from our customer base. So great. When you you know we talked about the fact that you're that you're a recruiter. What yeah. are some of the other? I mean, I guess I, I just it's always interesting. Zero mm -hmm. to one seventy yeah. is such a jump. What else have you learned? So I've learned to wear a lot of hats. So I will you know I ran the product team since the beginning, which. You know, I think that was a big advantage for us, though, because I knew the product that I wanted to build because I wanted to use it really bad. Yeah. Um, so that really helped. I've been wearing the marketing hat for a while, though we just uh, found a VP of marketing that we're going to hire. So finally, that was been a, a big win off my plate. So just jumping around to different teams has been, uh, you know, really how do I prioritize my time because each team kind of wants my time. And then how do I, you know. And do you have a coach? Do you have a set of advisors besides the board or is it the board? Um, I look to some of my, uh, like my past CEO and some other CEOs more than my board. Um, just because I think that they're a bit more, uh, you know, open and kind of, uh, they have the, the CEO experience more than my, my, I think my board's helpful when I'm like, hey, I need help with recruiting. And what do you think about this scenario? Um, things like that. But, um, you know, my CEO colleagues and peers and, advisors have been more helpful in just kind of general questions around how I should be spending my time, what should I be looking for, when should I be raising the next round, how many employees, all these different things. So Cool. When you're, you know, we've got some marketers in the room yeah. and, and you've probably spent some time defining your ideal customer mm -hmm. profile. So is, is it every marketer? Is it everybody should be using direct mail? How do you think about yeah. narrowing it so that people can understand if they're the right candidate to be integrating this into their strategy. And I'm also curious how the rise of account-based marketing mm -hmm. has impacted your business and your perspectives on ABM. Yeah, so, you know, it's actually, when, uh, to answer that question, I think uh, like almost everybody could think about how they could incorporate direct mail. And so, you know, it's the demand gen marketers, it's the field marketing, it's the programs, it's the event marketers. Um, so we work across all of these different groups. In addition to that, we're seeing SDR managers, VPs of sales uh, being uh, ICPs for us. The customer success org and customer marketing org is starting to figure out how they can use this to build better relationships with their existing customers. And then I think long tail industries outside of kind of tech and you know typical orgs like 
real estate, recruiting, finance, financial services, insurance, uh, automotive. There's a lot of other use cases where maybe they've been doing direct mail, but now we're offering this um, more integrated approach uh, and also bringing in a lot more options than what you know historically might have been just like printed postcards and some uh, you know things in envelopes. Is there but is there one specific use case that sort of everything grows from as a seed? I wish I could say that, but if I were to, to show you the, like the the chart of like all of our the titles of all of our people that are using the platform of the, the tens of thousands of users, you would be like, holy you know, holy moly, this is a ton of different use cases. So I, I can't put a you know a single thing on it. Awesome. So uh, towards the end of the podcast, we also we always like to understand your your influences. Mm -hmm. You mentioned other CEOs and yeah. advisors, and sort of paying it forward in terms of people that have inspired you. Yeah. So who are some of those people that you think we should know about as um, you know as we're here to learn? Yeah, so I get some of my inspiration. I really like uh, reading. So like Malcolm Gladwell is an author that I you know really early on really like marketing psychology, as I thought that was really interesting. And then, I mean, I think now I just really get inspiration from just my peers. So it's probably CEOs and people. Who are some great CEOs that, that you go to for advice? Yeah, so my previous CEO, uh, Tiago at TalkDesk, is kind of probably one of the main ones. Uh, you know, John Miller over at Engageo, Kyle Porter at Salesloft, uh, Manny over at Outreach, a lot of our partners. I find a, a good synergies with talking to their CEOs just because they kind of get what we're doing really well and can offer up a lot of uh, talk tracks. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, and then just general networking. I think that, like I said, we've got 40 or 50 uh, advisors. So some of these just like talking, getting breakfast with CMOs is really just impactful in terms of just hearing their perspectives. And uh, if folks are listening to this and they want to reach out to you, maybe they want to work at Sendosa. Yeah, maybe love it. Customers. <laughs> what's your uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? So find me on LinkedIn. Uh, How do we spell your last name for the listeners out there? <laughs> It's R-U-D-E-E-G-R-A-A-P. Okay, Rudy Grapp. Yeah, or you can email me Chris with a K, K-R-I-S, at Sendoso.com. Great. It's another not even normal spelling. <laughs> Thank you, parents. What is the origin of the, of the name? So funny enough, uh, Rudy is my mom's last name, which is Polish and Dutch, and Grapp is my dad's last name, is Dutch. Oh. And then when they got married, they combined the name and... So, how very modern. I know. Them. How, you know, Northern California. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, Chris, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for being here for the Fireside Chat. We're going to open it up to Q&A. If you're out there listening, you'll hear that Q&A on our Friday Fundamental show. And if you're here in the audience, this will all feel very strange. Uh, so thanks for being here. Cool. Thank you. So let's give it a Chris round of applause. This is Sam's Corner. I hope you liked part one of our live recording of our interview with Chris Rudy Grapp, the co-founder and CEO of Sendoso. If you're thinking about what to take away from it, besides, of course, maybe thinking about some kind of platform like Sendoso to integrate into the outreach that you're doing and the meeting generation and demand generation that you're working on, just think about what it represents that direct mail and sending physical objects has come back into the sales sequence, into the way that we're reaching out to people. The other thing that's come back is, is cold calling, is phone calls. So you just have to remember the things that worked a while ago are probably going to work less and less well 
every day that everybody adopts them. So, you know, nine years ago, 10 years ago, we all read predictable revenue. We were all sending plain text emails. I made so much money uh, when I was running sales at Axial with the subject line, right direction, question mark, or five minutes, question mark. But now we're being inundated with those emails and more and more of the SDRs that are coming up are not being trained or equipped to use the telephone in the right way. And you have to be creative and omni-channel. That's one of the things that emerges from, if you've read the book, Sales Engagement, that you have to be omni-channel and Sendoso is part of that story. Sendoso is part of, we can't just be phone, you know, voicemail and phone uh, and, and email. It cannot just be voicemail and email, voicemail and email. You have to use LinkedIn. You have to send text messages and use SMS. You have to think about sending physical objects at certain points through the sales cycle, either to get the meeting or maybe to nurture the prospect post demo as you move towards the close. But how do you think about and what is your strategy for creative personalization? Because I can tell you that that is what's going to be required to succeed. And even though it feels unscalable, there are more and more platforms like Sendoso that can help you scale your meeting generation efforts. Because if you're just relying on email, that's not going to work. And if you're just relying on voicemail plus email, that's not going to work. And if you're sending 2000 of the same emails that are written by the marketing department, but don't have any information about the human that you're sending them to and don't acknowledge or understand that maybe, you know, their, their professional experience, where they're at, what their context is, as John Barrow says, context is king or emperor or, or whatever the metaphor he uses, then you need to be thinking about that because, because that's, what's going to drive effective meeting generation and without meetings we can't make money so something to think about think about using some kind of physical objects into uh, the outreach that you're doing into your sequences because they have been shown to drive up conversion rates and improve responses and ultimately to lead to you know increased win rates which is what of course we're all looking for so this has been sam's corner thanks so much for listening if you haven't rated the show please give us five stars on itunes if you want to reach out to me you can i'm on linkedin linkedin.com forward slash the word in and then forward slash Sam F. Jacobs. And once again, thanks thanks to our sponsors, Conga, the leading end-to-end digital document transformation suite, to Outreach, the leading sales engagement platform, and to Sendoso, the sending platform uh, for their participation. And we'll talk to you with the second part of the conversation uh, this Friday. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.